All right, part two. No, just kidding. <laughs> you made it. That was pretty long, wasn't it? That wasn't just long. It was about 50 minutes. But it was hard. There was a lot of, lot of stuff. All right, this is just question and answer, right? So you got to ask questions. <clears throat> what was that? Nobody. We have another mic right here. Who wants to? Greg, you want to? You want to do it? A question. Um, what does it mean to harden your heart? Like, is is this different than normal sinning? Um, because. It sounds a little bit different. It seems like it's a step beyond sinning. Like you've almost put yourself in a position where there's no turning back. But could you just kind of elaborate on what does it mean to harden your heart? It is different sinning. Hardening your heart is an internal sin. So it has to do with the will. Um, and it's, it, it is similar to stiffening your neck, determining to be stubborn digging in, kicking against the goads. Those are all similar phrases. So when you harden your heart, uh, my simplest explanation would be Psalm 95. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. That's what it means to harden your heart. When you hear His voice and decide, I'm not going to listen, that's what it means to harden your heart. So Pharaoh heard God's call, let my people go. He was tempted to, Decided not to. Nah, I'm going to keep them. I don't want to lose these people. And so he hardened his heart, um, de made himself determined not to do it. You want to add anything to that? Well, just I think a similar biblical metaphor is people whose consciences are seared. Mm -hmm. And the notion is as you harden your heart, as you the notion of searing or cauterizing a wound is you're, you're killing the nerve endings. And so however loud God's voice is today... When you look at that and say, no, it's going to be, unless God does an unusual work of grace, softer the next time. And over time, that voice that was loud and booming in your ears gets deafened out. That's what you're choosing to do when you harden. So you might just choose to do some sin, but when the thought comes to your mind, this is wicked, God says no, and you say, I don't care. It will probably never convict you that much again. You've just hardened your heart some. Is there a correlation between that and God giving them over? Yes. <laughs> I would suggest they're one and the same thing. It's not, again, not that God and Pharaoh play ping pong, taking turns. The quote that I had in the slideshow, so Pharaoh hardened his heart according to the word of the Lord, but God said he'd hardened his heart. And so apparently Moses can write, Pharaoh hardened his heart just like God said he would. You know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, giving people over, and, and I think that was part of Daniel's point, is people want this. They, they're, no one's averse to this, that when God gives people over to harden their hearts, when he hardens them, they're, they're cheering it on. Or am I jumping ahead? Or oh, you're good. I'll give the ABF back to you now. Sorry. No. I don't know why you gave it to me to begin with. <laughs> jo join with me. Well, I have 10,000 questions, but I'm going to only do two right now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah. David... Um, over the death of his son with Bathsheba, said, today my son will be in paradise. Yes. So we were talking afterwards with some friends about, um, okay, so then we kind of thought, 
babies and young children were not condemned to hell if they died, but from what I'm hearing today, it sounds like they were chosen ahead of time so they will go to hell. That's number one. Question Ooh. number two. <laughs> I'm going to let Daniel take that one, definitely. <laughs> Question number two is, um, I get that we're all corrupt and that some of us get God's grace and we get saved. But then you, near the end you said, the Jews pursued it not by faith but by works, mm-hmm. but the Gentiles pursued it through faith in Christ. So I interpreted that incorrectly, I'm quite sure, as, well, they did have a, I mean, that didn't seem like those statements, I don't know why you said those, because they, to me, kind of refuted what you'd said. And I know I'm not remembering, correcting correctly, but. Let me answer the second one first. (laughs) All I was doing was quoting Romans 9. uh, And and the reason that I, I quote the end of Romans 9 is because here Paul has an opportunity to say, why did Israel fail to obtain salvation? Because God, that's what God appointed them to. And he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, it's because of their wickedness, i.e., or, or namely, because they did not pursue righteousness by faith. So that reason is outside of God. God does not say the reason that I damned them is because I wanted to. Instead, he says the reason I damned them is because they did not pursue righteousness by faith. Instead, they wanted to boast, and so they pursued it by works, thinking that if they were acted righteously enough, obeyed the law enough, they would earn God's salvation. Follow up? Yeah. But I... But my... But does that... How does that correlate with he condemned them he condemned them prior to them making that decision. See, I know my, I know it's my thinking that's screwed Did up. Do you understand but, that? Um, I think, I think, let me see if I get what you're saying correctly. Couldn't it be that the evidence that God hardened them is what they did, as opposed to the, the cause and effect could still be backwards, that, that, that we're now just seeing the consequence of God hardening them, that they result in them pursuing faith pursuing righteousness by works. Is that what you're asking? Uh-huh. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I, I didn't hear that. <laughs> that seems like a completely different question. Okay, sorry. Um, we'll leave it at that. You can go on to the other question. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Yeah. Um, the, which, the first question? The first question, Yes. Yeah, the first question was how does the death of infants and the salvation or damnation of infants relate to election and predestination? Good? Okay. Uh, it doesn't. No, it, of course it does uh, in some way, but it really doesn't. Here, here's, here's what you cannot say biblically. The infants that go to heaven are the ones that are elect. And the non-elect infants that die, they go to hell. You can't say that biblically. So the, the difficulty is we have no direct statement in Scripture that says definitively this is what happens to, to babies who die. We have a whole lot of circumstantial evidence in the Scripture, uh, one of them being David saying, I will, I will go to him. Um, so, and there's a number of others. Now, uh, let, me, let me answer it this way. When 
an infant dies, the first question we need to ask is, or answer, is do they deserve to go to heaven? Do they deserve to go to heaven? And we have to answer that no. They do not deserve to go to heaven. They are guilty in Adam. There, there is a sense in which they deserve to go to hell. Okay? But does that mean that God will send them to go to or send them to hell? I, I, we don't have that statement scripturally. And what we do have is every time God sends someone to hell, similar to here in Romans 9, every time God sends someone someone to hell, he gives them a reason, and the reason is their wickedness, their unrighteous deeds. So uh, Revelation, what was it, 17? 19 or 20. No, it's 20. Yeah, I think it's 20. Uh, and, And look at this, verse 11. Or till we can start in 12. And I saw the dead. Oh, wait. Are you, you good? Okay. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And then he goes on from there to... The wicked go to hell. The righteous go to heaven. Why did God send them to hell? On what basis did he send them to hell? According to what they had done. What have infants done? They have done nothing. Paul himself says that in Romans 9. Nothing good or bad. So that leaves us in somewhat of a gray area. Uh, where we don't have a clear biblical answer. We have one reason to think they deserve to go to hell. They should go to hell. We have another reason to think, no, that wouldn't be consistent with God's character. But then how do they get into heaven if they deserve hell and they get into heaven how? Then we have to say through Christ because no one comes to the Father except through Christ, but they haven't believed in Christ. So how, and we we don't know. The The... I think, Pastor Jeremy, you you remain agnostic. You don't have any. I'm hopefully agnostic. I I would agree that all the these halo data points to God is gracious to the infants. Some people look at that exact same lump of data, like John MacArthur, and think it's conclusive. And I don't want to argue with them over that. I look at it and say it's strongly suggestive. Yeah. Um, So I'm very hopefully agnostic. But and I I would only add to that. I think there's a reason God didn't make it clear. We do abortion evangelism. We do abortion evangelism. Just, just kill them because we know they're going to heaven. We're saving them all. It's a good thing to do. Uh, what? Yeah. I, and so he does not make it clear for a reason. I don't know exactly that reason, but it's not completely clear. I, I tend to, to tend to agree. I, I think that's what it points to. I think it points that way, um, but isn't conclusive. Can I I make one further point with that? Yeah, go right ahead. Based on Romans 5.12, the simple fact that infants can die is proof positive they're sinners. But we never, like you were saying, we never see God sending people to hell based on their nature. It's always based on their deeds. Yeah. So that's the conundrum is, okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
Well, that, that's oh, that's get, a that's <clears throat> a whole. No, no, I'm no, I'm not saying because people then want to run with this and make an age of accountability and said, like, I think we're filling in a whole bunch of white spaces there, which is why I'm much more comfortable with the hopeful agnosticism, which is there's a lot of texts that point that way. There's a lot to suggest that at the end of the day, we had a child, we had a miscarriage. God will do what's right. God will do what's right with Corbin, um, and I have to leave it at that. And I will praise him and move on. Yeah. Carol. This is maybe somewhat slightly related to the infant thing, so it came to my mind when I was listening this morning. Um, there are a lot of uh, reformed uh, people uh, uh, who are very Calvinist and would probably, I'm thinking of R.C. Sproul and, and his son and those people who would probably be uh, go with the double, the double thought that you were talking about this morning, but those people are also very supportive of infant baptism. We had, a, we had a friend at the church we were at before here who, was, who insisted that his daughter needed to be baptized as an infant, which was not our custom at that free church. And uh, so they brought someone in, and, and he would say, well, no, we know this doesn't save her, but I don't want anything, I don't want not doing this to hinder her. Isn't that what he said? And... Um, so to me, that almost flies in the face of if, if God has, has predestined and chosen, then what does baptizing an infant have to do with uh, the possibility of that child being saved later? So there's a whole bunch more mud to throw onto the yeah. discussion, I guess. Not necessarily, Carol. I think if you were to fear, I got a friend of mine I'm having a dialogue with even right now. In fact, he's probably listening right now as we speak. I think they would argue that sure That's God creepy. He's what? listening right now as That's we speak. <laughs> For him, it's right now. For him, it's right now. Oh, as he's hearing your words, he's listening. Yes, yes, he's listening. Right, he's not really listening right now, but to him, he's listening right. <laughs> then it'll be. It's very. It's like to us, it's future. To him, it's past. It's very now, true, but it's future. Anyway, anyway, I think what he'd say is just as God appoints means. And part of the means of salvation, even though he elects, is by hearing the word and stuff. One of the means that will help generate, produce, or help um, that would be baptism. I think that the, I think that the Presbyterians and those those groups would argue that we're doing this in faith because we believe God's made this promise to our kids. I, I don't hold to this. I just don't want to straw man it. And um, and we're doing this, and we're trusting that receiving this sign and giving this sign in faith is going to help promote faith. It's going to just as hearing the word helps promote faith, raising them in a Christian home is going to help promote all those things. Receiving the sign of the covenant and giving them some confidence. God's, they would say, God's made these promises to you, and we we are believing and receiving them through baptism. So I don't think there necessarily has to be any conflict. So they just say means and sovereignty. God's sovereignly determined, but He uses means. Sorry, I don't mean to hijack. Let me just add on to that that we could say something similar to any good deed. Well, we don't need to evangelize because we know God's just chosen whomever He wants. And so there's no point in evangelizing. The scripture says that's wrong. We, in fact, Paul's, Jeremy will talk about this next week. Don't steal my thunder. Oh. I'm not going to have much of a sermon left. No, God, God just God, God assumes that because He's sovereign, that's part of the reason that it's okay for us to evangelize, because these hard-hearted people we're speaking to couldn't be changed by our own words, but He can change them. 
And so we evangelize. So uh, don't, don't uh, do too much with our human ways of thinking and reasoning because it will get even us into a bit of a bind. Greg? Not to you know, press the, the children thing any further, but I just did just want to say that I've heard John Piper speak on this, and I think that the hopeful evidence that he has towards infants going to heaven is derived from his belief in, in God's character and what God says in Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then you, you have passages like Deuteronomy chapter 1, where it is said in verse 39, and as for your little ones who you said would become prey and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And it's talking about um, them them entering the promised land. So you get passages like that that talk about children who don't know um, good from evil and things like that and God's character in righteously, you know, giving judgment to those who... um, you know, suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and, and I think Piper derives from there some hope that children who, you know, haven't yet, you know, raised their fist towards God or anything, um, that God may, through uh, his son, redeem them as well, and, and, and they would be with him in paradise as well. Are they saved through faith? I think Piper has a unique, yeah, I would say it is through faith. They Their all, faith, they have faith. The zygote in the womb has faith. I think the simple answer is this is why we are baptized for the dead. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, I, all I'm trying to, and I'd like, because Daniel hit upon enough interesting stuff, if I can suggest, I'll be happy in my future ABFs to talk about children. The simplicity of the challenge of children is God has only revealed to me judgment by works. God has only revealed in scripture justification by faith. I'm not aware how an unborn child has either. And so I don't have a schema to easily plug him into. I'm not. No, no, no. I'm just. All I'm saying. That's the, the ultimate challenge. Is I'm not aware of how a two-day-old zygote has faith or works. And so, as God reveals salvation, I'm not sure how to plug him into either one. And so, them are left with guessings, pointing, suggestions, but we don't have any clear schematic. Jeremy. Yeah. Um, how exactly was it that John the Baptist uh, leapt in the womb of his mother when Jesus was close? If the zygotes don't aren't given faith or supernatural works? Oh no, no! John the Baptist breaks all the rules. John the Baptist wasn't a two-day-old zygote. No, it's entirely possible. John the Baptist demonstrates that in the womb, this child, close to birth, we know how far along Elizabeth is, um, is capable of rejoicing and responding to this. No, absolutely. But just because of that, I wouldn't. It, it's conceivable that a one-day-old, a two-minute-old zygote has deeds, and it's conceivable that a two-day-old zygote has faith. I'm just saying, I'm not, I have no knowledge that a two-day-old zygote can do either. Right. John the Baptist the, certainly makes it clear that the, the, the birth isn't this magical dividing line. Right. That's for sure. But Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. The birth is not the dividing line. But, uh, and ultimately, we can see that God, if he so chooses, is capable of granting faith and some would seem regeneration Sure. to even a, a no, no. child. God's free to do what he wants. And that's why I'm just limiting it to what God has revealed he does. God's showing me, here's how I judge. I don't, oh, yeah, yeah. John, I think, is meant to be an exceptional case, though. If we that, get one all. more question about children, you're coming up here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
Um, this might not relate at all, but probably because I was looking at these passages this morning. Mark 9:37. whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And then Matthew, um, similar passages. However, I've now lost them. <laughs> about a little child being placed when the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. Mm-hmm. Jesus put a little child in front of him and said, um, well, you guys probably know what it said. I don't have it in front of me. I don't want to misquote it. Uh, does that relate at all to this subject? Yes, but so does Psalm 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. Which means we can't simply say all children are in a great state. All children are in a happy little going to have... Like, the Bible can speak of wicked children, and they can speak like yours. And so you've got to then work the math of how that works. It's Psalm 58.3 at least makes it clear. It's not as simple as all children are in this state. Um, so G, that's so It's complicated, and that, I don't want to use up all of our time this morning with that. There's plenty of stuff, and the issue of children is huge, and there's tons of texts. And we can certainly even maybe even give a sermon to looking at it sometime in the future if this is a topic people really want to go into. But it can easily devour the remaining 20 minutes Daniel has. Any questions on Romans 9? This is not a question on Romans 9, but I'm adding for Jeremy's future sermon on this that I know there's a passage in the Bible where being of the age to make a decision to accept. We have a daughter who may never be able to make that decision. So just put that in the back of your mind and and add that to the future sermon. Well, yeah, that's the reference to that is God. Can I actually answer something? Um, (laughs) I surround myself with yes men. Turn, turn to Jonah chapter 4. <clears throat> yep. I, this is not a final answer, but it's worth, worth considering. God is he's arguing with Job, or Jonah. Jonah's arguing with God. Jonah's pretty mad because God gave him a little gourd <clears throat> to grow up and give him shade. And God blasted that gourd. He destroyed it. He appointed a worm to kill it. And so Jonah got pretty peeved. He was upset. He was throwing a little temper tantrum. And it's all an illustration for Jonah to realize God can have mercy on whomever he wills, and God can destroy whatever he wants from among sinful man. And he's chosen to have mercy on the Ninevites. And Jonah is mad at God for having mercy on the Ninevites because he wants the Ninevites to be judged. That's the whole flow of Jonah. Okay, So here's what God tells Jonah. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. <clears throat> wow. I just... <laughs> God's speaking to him, and he's like, yes, I'm, yeah, completely right. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, 
which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now that's like the mystery of the ending of Jonah. You're like, and much cattle? What? (laughs) But I think that what the point of Jonah, and Jonah, I believe, is recording this. And so as Jonah writes this, what he is showing is that God looks upon a helpless or, or innocent enough people, the right hand from the left, they don't know their right hand from the left, probably talking about children, but the same application to those with mental disabilities applies. They don't know their right hand from their left. And God seems to view them in a different way than he does those who do know their right hand from their left and can raise their fist at God. And God, God's heart is mercy. <clears throat> that, that, let's make that the last word on infants. Any actual Romans 9 right. questions? Yeah. Oh, right here. We, oh, sorry. This and then a mic Ro- up here if we have a second. This is on Romans 9. All right. All right. Uh, you- your application of uh, Romans 9.13, Jacob, I love Esau, I hated that at yes. the end. You were saying how, well, <clears throat> Jacob never actually served Esau the person, but this came 1,500 years later. Yes. I'm not sure what you were trying to draw there. Not sure what your point was. Okay, critical. When did God say, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated? The standard double predestination answer is God said that before they were born or had done anything good or bad. No, that's not what the text says. What the text says God told Rebecca beforehand was the older will serve the younger. Okay. Now, Paul recognizes that that's not readily obvious from the text of Genesis, which he quoted. So he has to demonstrate that it's true the older will serve the younger. How does he do it? He quotes Malachi 1, which comes 1,500 plus years later. And that, said, that demonstrates, no, Esau did serve Jacob because God says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And as you read Malachi 1, you realize God's going to destroy Esau and Esau's going to say, oh no, I'll just build myself back up. And he's like, oh no, you won't. I'm going to destroy you. So that's a demonstration of the fact that Jacob, uh, that the older did serve the younger. Now emotively, and, and Piper even does this at one point. I mean, it's, le- it's legitimate what he's doing, but it paints a very different picture. Emotively, if you hear, before they were born or had done anything good or bad, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That paints a clear picture of God looking at a neutral lump of clay and saying, I want to hate something right now. Okay, I'll make something to hate. And that's a different picture than Paul actually describes. So would you say that there's, like last week... The idea of like federalism came up, that there's like a federal relationship between Jacob and the nation that goes both ways? Yes. Uh, I don't know about the both ways part. What did you mean by that? I was just talking about Adam as our representative legally, federally, yes. just as Christ is legally, federally our yeah. representative. So, well, so much so that God's not even talking about Jacob and Esau and Malachi. He's talking about the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom or, or, or uh, Esau. Um, so, yes, uh, there is definitely federalism, corporate solidarity. Uh, a nation is represented by its head, just like we're represented by Christ. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, yeah. So in light of the truth of what you shared on Romans 9, what are the good applications from this passage as opposed to maybe some improper thinking? So if God has ordained a means of the sharing the gospel to yes. an end, so I don't want to make the mistake of thinking I don't want to share yeah. the gospel, what are some practical applications? How then should I live? Excellent, excellent question. I believe you're going to want me to not answer that. That's the entire topic of next week's message. <laughs> so you got to come back. You got one little thing to do this week. No, I'll give you. I'll give you one. It should humble us. It should humble us. It, it should. It should make us like Daniel said. I'm Pharaoh. It should make us realize that when you hear the most atrocious, wicked thing in the news. Were it not for God's grace, that could be me. It should humble us, but there's more. But that's a sample. It, it, let me point you to the beginning of Romans 9, verses 2 and 3. And then chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Let me just point you to those because Paul makes it clear what we should not do. Because I, I know as a, as a kid, as a high schooler, discussing predestination, it was like, hey, if this is true, then you know, I don't have to evangelize and I can do anything I want because God chose me and it doesn't matter. No, 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 that's wicked thinking. And Paul, Paul demonstrates a few of those things in the first three verses of Romans 9 and, and then Romans 10. Sorry to do that, but he'd be mad at me if I answered all of that. Okay. JP, this um, better is be there good. a difference between God's decree, predestination, and election? Are all those synonymous or sassy molassy? Uh, okay, so biblically, decree, ordain, establish, will—those uh, seem to be similar. Theologically. Uh, theologians, especially Reformed theologians, have distinguished between those things. So that just because God's will is something does not mean that God has decreed that thing to come to pass. And I think that's great if you want to use those terms to mean those specific things. That's great, but not everybody knows that uh, lingo. And so sometimes you're going to hear people speak in ways that are contrary to that. And it's not necessarily unbiblical. Um, did you want to add to that? Okay. So, uh, yeah, Linda. Okay. Um, in point B, number five, um, so it says the elect obtained it, which yes. is referencing salvation, but the word obtained, and maybe in Greek it's something different, but it seems like, you know, obtain we think of as Earned. Bought, paid for, worked for, versus should it be received it? Yes. Uh, the elect, did the elect earn it because they obtained it? Is that the kind of obtain we're talking about? And the answer always, oh, this is good. High schoolers, what are the three most important rules of interpretation? Yes. <laughs> That's what you pay me for. <laughs> context, context, context. So we look at this sentence alone, all by itself. The elect obtained it and the rest were hardened. We could conclude, if that's all we had, 
hey, they earned it. So we look at the context to see if that's what Paul says. And the verse right before it, verse 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So Paul has made it crystal clear there is no earning. So when he says the elect obtained it, there's no way that anyone thinks they earned it. They obtained it because God gave it to them. And they obtained it through faith. Yes, Lee. Well, I uh, have a question about hardening of the heart and how sometimes when you're a Christian, your heart is sort of hard. And yes. I mean, it's, I guess it's a mercy that God doesn't allow that to continue. Because yes. I've seen that in my own life where I, there's been times like, I don't care. I want to do what I want to do. End of story. And then later, of course, I thank God, literally, I came to my senses and he kind of slapped me around yeah. and said, no, fix it. So, it's, I mean, is there, I guess the, the, so the point is at the end of it, of the story is like, where do you end up? Is that the question or the answer to that question about Christians hardening oh. their hearts? So if we as believers, and I think all of us as believers have hardened our hearts, I, I know that. Um, does that mean that we're going to hell? In, in, or does that mean that we're not elect or, or chosen? And there is a sense in which, and you're probably in Hebrews. Yeah, he's in Hebrews, just like me. Uh, there is a sense in which if we go on hardening our hearts, if we go on willfully sinning, Hebrews 10, there no longer remains a, a sacrifice for our sins. If we continue to do that, we demonstrate that we do not know him, that, that uh, he does not love us, that he has not chosen us, or better, that we have rejected him. Um, so yes, and that's, that's what we call the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints, that God those whom he has chosen, he will preserve until the end. They will be kept. He will hold me fast until the end. And yes, there will be hardening in between. Yes, we sin. Every time we sin, we harden our hearts. But he will bring us to repentance. We'll come back to him. He'll restore us. And that hardening will not be an ultimate hardening. Yeah. So can I question that then? But that decision was already made for us. No. Yes and no. I say no because of the way you phrased it. Was that decision made for us? No. We made that decision. We made that we decision. We made that decision, but God knew we would make that decision. Yes, God did From know we would. From the very beginning would. of time, a thousand years before I was born, he knew that I would go to hell. Yes. But along the way, I could have Oh, been. I hope not. Well, yes, I hope Don't not. Don't say that. Okay. <laughs> but but let's, let's just say that so God said this person would go to hell. Thousands yes. of years before they were born... Um, but then they're born, and then they they believe they are saved, and they and they have their good works, and they go in faith, and then they harden their hearts, and then they continue to harden their hearts, and they continue to make those choices. That's where they end up. That tension is what the entire book of Hebrews is written to. He's basically warning you, saying, "Be careful, be careful." There, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. There is a line, we don't, and no one knows where that is. No human knows where that is. There is a line where once you cross it, you're Esau. And he was unable to repent, though he sought it with tears. There is a point where you have so rejected and so rejected and so trampled truth that there's no coming back from it. Now, God, the good shepherd, will not let any of his sheep reach that point. But when I harden my heart, what I'm in effect saying is, I'm going to sin now because I'm going to trust that Jesus will come and turn me around. 
And for those that that happens, great. But for some people, it sure doesn't look like the good shepherd's coming after him. And then eventually you've got to start saying, is he their shepherd? Because he doesn't lose any of his sheep. Um, but that, the whole book, we're, one other question. Were you here two weeks ago? No. The tension I've you're dealing with is the, oh, that's the sole point of that. Establishing God's causality in no way nullifies or eliminates or compromises our responsibility. So the whole point of that message is to be able to say, mysteriously, God, I'll say even more than new, God decreed it from the beginning. They chose it freely. The whole point of that is we ought to be able to say both of those things. So God, from the beginning, decreed who he'd choose and who he'd pass over, and therefore where they'd end up. And those people in time and space freely, really chose Christ or rejected him. Being able to say both of those things and say, there's a mystery, but the Bible teaches us to say both those things. Yeah. Yeah, just in regards to that... um, we as believers obviously have the inner testimony from Romans 8.16 from the Holy Spirit that we are indeed as children. We also have the promise that God who began a good work in us will carry it out to completion. And we can see that evidenced in our own lives. Mm-hmm. We also have, and I'm sure we've all been there as believers, when we go astray, our Father in heaven will discipline us. Once again, evidence that we belong to Him. It, it's a pretty scary path when you willfully go into a sinful path and it goes on and on and there's no... Um, God does not interject Himself into your life. But those are some of the promises we have as believers that He will discipline us. He will complete the good work that He began in us. So, yeah, That's not really a question, is it? that was Hebrews 10 26 just exactly what you're saying if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins and this is what you're saying but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries it's very frightening when we begin to go down that road and that fear is a good thing. Like we should be thinking like, no, daddy's going to spank me. No, go back, go back. That's God's grace to us so that we're scared to death of it and we run from it back to him, back to, to his word. <clears throat> oh, uh, I, don't, I don't know who's first. Go ahead. Go ahead. Dave? Okay, Dave. I, I was trying to write down a because I can't keep my question on my mind, so I have to just try to figure out how to say this. But um, I, I was reading some of the, the problems of science not being able to, to figure out the role of a pencil, so not being able to understand exactly how God works really doesn't bother me too much. But how does his thoughts are beyond tracing out, and no one has known the mind of the Lord figure into this. And number two, I got one more. Uh, Paul who talked about, wrote about what, quite a bit about what you just talked about this morning, had a sense of urgency about his, his uh, work uh, with the gospel and all that. How, how do you, can you do those, both those two in about, about 30 seconds? So number one, that we cannot trace out the mind of God. We can't perceive his thoughts. We are limited to what He has revealed to us. 
And so that's part of what I'm doing. I did not ultimately give you a bunch of answers. This is how God works. The reason I did not is because God has not done that. And so what I'm trying to do is let us understand what he has said and where there is tension, we, we have to be content with that tension remaining. I don't know how exactly God relates to the reprobate or to the damned. I don't know exactly, but I do know that he claims freely to harden whomever he wills. So if I see him hardening whomever he wills, there is no guilt on his part. How those two work out together, I don't have an answer. That is what Jeremy would say, mystery. That's mystery. I don't know the answer to that. The second question, I don't remember. Paul's urgency. Oh, yeah, Paul's urgency. Yes, Paul's urgency is apparently connected to his understanding of election. And I, I don't want to rob from you again, uh, but Pastor Jeremy will talk about that a bit next week. Essentially, because I know that God has chosen some, I will go to the city because my my ministry won't be in vain. I want to go to this place so that those who know or those who have been chosen might hear the gospel and be saved. And so it's the power behind our ministry because we know God is at work. If it wasn't for that, where would our hope be? I just want to say I agree with everything that you talked about this morning. It was, it was all biblical. All right. Has he ever told you that? <laughs> Okay, Zach, <laughs> last question, hey. and I think we're out of time. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think it was in uh, Romans 9, verse 14, where you were saying how there's all these examples of when Paul says, you know, what then, what yes. about this? Yeah. But then I think you said that um, in that verse that that's a little bit different. Yes. And I kind of missed on what your point was. With that. Okay, verse 19 <clears throat> is what I was talking about. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? This, this is an unusual way for Paul to phrase it. It's different than most of, uh, almost every other time he does it. And I think uh, maybe the simple answer is this, these two questions are illegitimate questions. They're wrong questions, but Paul still entertains them. In other words, we should not, if we're paying attention, we should not necessarily ask, hey, why does he still find fault? And that's, that was my, my only point there, is that I don't think these two questions are legitimate ones he wants us to ask so that he can answer. Because he doesn't answer it. He says, who are you to talk back to God? I mean, that's his, you keep your mouth shut. You're the, crea you're the creature, not the creator. Um, and that was, that was really my only point there. All right, thanks. Mm -hmm. All right. Shall I close this in a word of prayer? Just let me or say one last... For now, we, we're, we can move on, and even as we go on in Luke, if there's holdover, but I really would encourage you, as you've seen, a lot of stuff comes out, a lot of explanation of the ABFs. All the ABFs are online, and so I just would encourage you um, to go check those out, read some of those books. This is a heavy topic, and even guys who are staunch defenders of it, like John Piper and other things, admit to taking years working through this. So we are under no illusions that, okay, you've had your four weeks, everyone ought to be on board and okay. Rather... This is just an introduction. Take your time, wrestle, work through it. That's good. If you, if at the end of four weeks are still wrestling, 
God bless you. That's There's awesome. There's nothing wrong with There's it. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but we also have played out plenty of resources that you, I think you'll find helpful in the ABFs, the messages, the books, and further discussion. So after what I'm sure is a heavy talk by Daniel, a heavy message, just encouragement with that. Like Just keep working through these things. Keep chewing, talking to other people, talking to us. This is, you know, that's, that's the glory of God's in that. So please don't feel like at the end of this series, you got it all. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we just want to bow before you and recognize that you are our maker. You are the one who has formed us and you have done all things well. We don't comprehend everything that you have done or the reasons for what you have done, but we know that you are good, that you are righteous, and that you do no wrong. And so we praise you for that. Help us, Lord, with our questions to come back to you and to come back to your word. Help us to search the scriptures to see if these things are true, that we might depend on you and not upon man. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.